I want you to stand to your feet right now. We honor the reading of God's word in this house. We stand for brides and we'll stand at funerals and we'll stand for people of honor. So we stand for the reading of God's word. Hallelujah. So I want you to take, uh, we've got a theme verse we're going to bring up on the screen here out of Ephesians chapter 2. And then we're going to read out of Matthew 28 in a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Our custom, we read this out loud together. Are you ready for it? Can you see it? Here we go. One, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Some of you may know this by heart. A passage of scripture we call the Great Commission. Matthew 28. In verse 18, I'm reading this morning out of the New King James Version, and this is what it says. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand on this word as we open it together. Mighty God, I just thank you for your hand that is upon this house and upon this body. Lord, we commit this word to you. We ask you to speak to our hearts and to change our lives today, mighty God. Open us to what you desire to speak by your spirit today. And I come against any hindrance of the enemy, any confusion, any division, mighty God. Uh, I just pray that you would give us liberty in receiving your word today in the mighty name of Jesus I pray everybody say amen, amen. you may be seated um, I do upload my notes into the Bible app just so you know if you have the U version you can go to events you'll see our church there and I've got all of our notes my points and and everything there I want to talk today about baptism everybody say baptism, baptism. this really is one of my favorite topics um, our series currently is called First Steps. You'll notice when somebody's getting right with God or if we want somebody to get plugged into the church, what we'll do is we'll direct them to the next steps table. And I'm in the middle of writing a book called First Steps that we are going to give away. I'm not going to sell the book or anything. We're going to give it to individuals who are making a commitment to Jesus. And, 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 and what is it that they can expect from a church? What are the things that they should do? And, and I feel like this is important even for us. Now, you may be new to the Lord or new in your walk with God, and, and you're going to find this message really encourages you. But even for us as a church, I feel like this is very important for the purpose of unity. Everybody say unity. unity. I've done a survey in previous weeks. In fact, let's just do it real quick. How many of you grew up in an assembly of God, spirit-filled kind of church church? Uh, Okay, like how many of you grew up Foursquare or Pentecostal or uh, like a non-denominational spirit-filled, okay? 
All right, hallelujah. How many of you grew up in a, in a Baptist church, a Baptist upbringing? Okay, handful of you. How many of you grew up Methodist? Methodist, okay. Do we have any Lutherans in the house? Lutherans, hallelujah. How many Catholics do we have? Uh, so we got, okay, a number of Catholics. What am I missing? What's that? <laughs> Calvinist. Anybody grow up Calvinist? Uh, hallelujah. Yeah, that's, that's Baptist. That's the same. Um, hallelujah. How many of you just grew up heathen? I was, I was a heathen. I was just away from the Lord. Yeah. How many of you, that's a good one. How many of you came from another religion? You were Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or, or you know, something. You got saved out of Islam or something like that. Okay. A few of you, Buddhist. Uh, uh, that's wonderful. Now, so the question is, the question is, we come and we worship together. How are we going to remain in unity when we have so many different? I mean, some people, you may have grown up in a, in a Lutheran background and you watch how we do baptism and you're like, well, I don't know about that. That's not what I grew up with. Some of you have grown up in different practices. You may hear me singing in tongues and you wonder, is that allowed in church? I didn't know if we could do that or not. Uh, and so what I'm going to do over the course of this series is I'm going to explain what we believe is a church, and, and there's some things that I just, I, man, I'll tell you, uh, we can get, we can disagree about a lot of things and we can still be friends. Let, let me just say that, okay? We can believe different things about the timing of the rapture and I'll still love you. We can disagree about, uh, uh, I don't know, just lesser issues, you know, defined to, to Calvinism. You know, I've got Calvinist friends and I've got Arminian friends and I'm, it's kind of somewhere in the middle of those things, I think. And, uh, you know, the fact if, if you're a Calvinist or if you're an Arminian, we can worship and we can love Jesus together. Uh, what, what will set us apart, though, is if you don't believe that Jesus is the only means by which man may be saved, uh, you're going to, I'm going to rub you the wrong way every single Sunday. Because every Sunday I plead for people to commit their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you don't believe that the Bible has authority, that we believe that this is God's word spoken, that it is relevant to us today, that it's not just random letters assembled from random authors over thousands of years. No, God was intentional and he was purposeful and this is reliable and authoritative. If you don't believe that about the Bible... I'm going to offend you every Sunday when I make you read the Bible and I preach from the Bible. Uh, and so there's a number of things that I just, I think it's very important for us to, to believe together. Now, I want to talk about baptism. In fact, I want to talk about a couple different baptisms. I want to talk about baptism into Christ and his body. We want to talk about water baptism. And then we're going to end by talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, this isn't going to be a, a, you know, a full discourse on this. In fact, next week we'll focus entirely on Holy Spirit. If you want to know what we believe about the Holy Spirit and its role, we're going to do that next Sunday. But today we're going to talk about the baptism. Now, let me just give you some history. I shared this in the baptism, during our baptism. Did you know that before baptism was a spiritual or a Christian term, did you know that it was actually a cooking term? Did you know this? Some of you have heard me share this before. This is one of the neatest things I ever heard in my life. Baptism is the idea of taking, for example, a cucumber. 
And you take a cucumber and you completely immerse it into a mixture of vinegar and spices and, and salt. And what happens is if you immerse a cucumber in that kind of concoction, over time it will begin to absorb the, the nature and the characteristics of the liquid that it has been put into. And after a time when you go to open up that jar and you take out that item, it's no longer a cucumber any longer. What is it? Yeah, it's a pickle. It's, I love pickles. Oh my goodness. We got to go get pickles after the service. I love pickles. What's amazing is literally the nature and the characteristics of that cucumber have completely transformed its identity. It's an entirely new creation. And you can begin to understand why theologians and, and individuals felt like this is a fitting term for what happens when an individual is baptized into Christ and his body. I, I want you to understand as I talk about baptism, whether it's baptism into the body of Christ or baptism in water or baptism in the Holy Spirit, I'm not just talking about some ritual. I'm not just talking about some, some act of faith. I believe that baptism is literally an immersion into the presence and the power and the substance of God. And it literally transforms our life. It's going to change us. You're not going to be the same. You were a heathen. You were a sinner. You were broken. You were away from the Lord. But as we are immersed in Jesus and his body, we literally begin to absorb the nature and the characteristics and the power of God. And all of a sudden, that begins to emanate from our life. All of a sudden, you're no longer a heathen. Now you're a pickle. Yeah. Hallelujah. Are you with me today? So, the first baptism I want to talk about is a baptism into Christ and his body. And this is a simple idea, but this is what happens when you are born again. When you're saved, you are baptized into Christ and his body. And let me just, I want to try and make this very clear. This baptism, this first baptism I'm talking about right now has nothing to do with water. The baptism into Jesus Christ and his body doesn't have anything to do with water. It has to do with coming into the body of faith, the body of Jesus being immersed into him. When you profess Jesus as Lord of your life and Savior, something happens. You go back to the first week in the first message I preached in this series, I talked about the great exchange. Do you remember what the great exchange was? This is that moment where Jesus, sinless, perfect, died a sinner's death. In the Bible, I won't go through all of the, uh, the theology of it again. I did that a couple weeks ago. But the idea is simply this, that Jesus in his sinless death took upon himself our sin, your sin, my sin. And he exchanged it for his righteousness, his perfect life. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. This is what we call the great exchange. Everybody say the great exchange. Now you might wonder, how does that work? I'm going to give you one verse that really is going to show you not only the picture of what it means to be baptized into the body of Christ, but you're also going to see... How is it possible that me, as broken and as sinful as I am, how can I actually make it into heaven? 
You ever wonder about that? Like, how does this actually work? Now, I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3. I'm reading this particular verse out of the Passion Translation. I like the way it reads in this one. And this is what it says, Colossians 3, 3. It says, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in Christ. Everybody say, hidden away in Christ. Christ himself is seen for who he really is. As Christ himself is seen for who he really is, then then who you are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. Now, I've been traveling a good bit over the last couple weeks. We just went over to Maui for some revival meetings and uh, even a couple weeks before that, many of us together went to prophetic conference. Now, I don't know if you feel like this, but still to this day, every time I go through airport security, I am anticipating the moment where they pull me aside. I don't know. I guess it's my brown skin and my beard. I get randomly selected often for screenings. <laughs> Hallelujah. And... Every time I'm getting ready to go through, I just wonder, am I going to be stopped? Am I going to have to be patted down? Am I going to, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so, uh, yeah, all the brown people wave at me. So, uh, all right. My wife says to stop it. I'm sorry. But, uh, (laughs) so, but it's true, man. And so I go through and, uh, you know, I just, I, I, every time I'm just waiting for the guy to tell me either go or waiting for the thing to beep at me or whatever. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a mildly anxious thing. And I'm so excited every time I don't get stopped. And I just think, now this is a goofy illustration, but I think you're going to remember this. You just imagine you're going through the pearly gates, entering into heaven. And as you're going through, there is a detector there. And as you go through, that thing beeps at you. And you got to go over. The angel starts patting you down. Oh, yep, yep. Oh, look. Sin. This is what disqualifies us. This is the reason we can't make it into heaven on our own. And guess what? We all have sin. We all have sin. But here's what's amazing. Uh, you know, you, 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 you imagine Jesus. Now, Jesus is walking through that same metal detector. And the moment that he steps in, it doesn't beep. He's able to enter in. But here is what Colossians just said. It said that you and I, when we are crucified with Christ, this moment of faith where we acknowledge, I am done with leading my life my way. I am surrendering to Jesus as Lord. My life as I know it is over, and I'm surrendering to Jesus in whatever life he wants me to live. That's what it is to be committed to Jesus. We are then, the Bible said, Hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ. So here's what happens. Jesus becomes a smuggler. Jesus is going through the metal detector or the sin detector, right? It doesn't beep. And as he comes into glory, Colossians says, it says that we will be revealed in him. All of a sudden, it's like the Trojan horse. You get snuck into the city. All of a sudden, it's opened up. And what's in there? Me and you who have been made one with Jesus. Do you get it? You get it? 
I know it's a simple, it's a goofy maybe illustration, but that's what it is to be baptized, to be received into the body of Christ. In fact, in that moment, you know, we all grew up in Sunday school, and uh, how many of you were always instructed, let's ask Jesus to come into our heart, yeah? Uh, there's one verse that says, so I'm not going to dog on that idea, there's one verse that's about that, but a more accurate description of what actually has happened is not not us asking Jesus into our heart it's actually Jesus receiving us into his heart he's receiving us he's immersing us into him and what we receive well I'm going to get to in a minute is not Jesus literally Jesus do you know Jesus is seated today at the right hand of the father like for real, resurrected Jesus, skin and resurrected bones, whatever that looks like, is literally seated on a throne in heaven next to his father. That's a pretty big deal considering he lived a life on this earth. He died and he was risen, he was risen again. Oh my goodness. Wow. So, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says that we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, the second baptism I want to talk about is the baptism in water. Everybody say baptism in water. This is what we practiced just the other day. Now, the word baptizo is uh, the Greek word. It literally means to be immersed. It means to be overwhelmed. It means to be submerged. This is why we dunk people all the way. I don't know about you. I don't want just a sprinkling of God on my life. I was baptized as a Catholic in Matamoros, Mexico. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got baptized when I was a young person. And then I got rebaptized when my wife and I got married. And it was a real joy. I'm going to talk about rebaptism in a moment. Should we do that? Why would we consider doing that? Um, baptism in water is wonderful. And you, you caught just a glimpse of this idea, but baptism really is covenant. It's a, it's a covenantal act that you and I perform to profess our relationship with Jesus. You understand what covenant is, right? I give the marriage illustration, and I think it's a good one. Uh, my wife and I, before we were married, we dated for a time. We didn't date for a long time. I don't believe in long engagements. I think if you know that this is the one, go ahead and get married. Praise God. So we didn't even date for a year, right? How long did we date? We were friends for longer than that. But <clears throat> I remember we would go, and uh, we were broke college students, Hallelujah. And so our dates, mostly our dates, we'd go down to 7-Eleven or Quick Trip. Quick Trip in Dallas. Do you know what, anybody know what Quick Trip is? All right. So we go to Quick Trip and we get our, uh, you know, our slushies less than a dollar and we'd get like a couple airheads each. They were like 10 cents a piece. And that was our date, less than 10 bucks, less than five bucks. But that's what we could afford as broke college students. And then we'd go to the park that was right next to our college campus. And we'd hang out there all the time. I had my Ninja Turtles blanket. And we'd lay it out on the grass. Uh, wasn't that cool? She threw it away after we got married. I was so mad. That was my favorite blanket. And we'd lay that thing out and uh, 
And we just spend hours together. We, you know, uh, just enjoy each other. And I, and I never forget the night where I professed to her for the first time, I love you. That's a big deal because, honest to God, I, I'd never told anybody else that. I mean, my family, but I'd never had a girlfriend. I never had anybody that I had professed my love like that to. And so for me to, oh, I remember how nervous I was the first time I shared that love with her. And, uh, and I think it shocked her because her response wasn't as emphatic. But, uh, but she, oh, I love you too. You know, I just, I, I wasn't sure. She had to convince me over the next. But over the next couple weeks, we began to profess our love one for another. And it was a private thing. It was just between me and her. And it was something that was in the depths of our heart. And it was a, it was a beautiful and pure expression of our love towards one another. A number of months later, I don't know, probably six or seven months after that time, we stood in a church with our pastor and a number of witnesses and we made a public declaration of our love for one another. We exchanged rings as a sign of our love for one another. We uh, professed, I mean, you understand what happens on this day. Not only is it a, a public affirmation of our love for one another. We'd already done that in private. But now we were going public. And there was, there's significance in this because now we're letting everybody know. Jacob and Leah no longer on the market. Praise God. We are committed one to another, and this is the way it's going to be till death do us part, and probably beyond that. Um, we already decided we're going we're to die together. And, uh, <laughs> and if she dies first and I don't, she says she's coming back to haunt me. So, <laughs> no, I don't know. Did you say that? I don't know. Anyway, so... Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Covenant. You understand this is what happens with Jesus. There's a personal moment where you commit your life and you profess your love to Jesus. And it happens. It can happen between you and him in your bedroom. It can happen in the middle of a worship service. It can happen when you're watching maybe a, uh, you know, somebody on television give a gospel presentation. Or it can happen in an altar time where maybe a pastor or a minister gives the opportunity to respond and to, and to, to commit your life to Jesus. That, that's a personal and an intimate moment. And, and it's real. It's authentic. It's genuine. But there's a moment and I believe it's just as important as a declaration that we make in marriage where we stand before God and we stand before witnesses and we make a public declaration. I'm not giving myself to other lovers any longer. I'm not going to be in love with the world or with money or my sin any longer. My first love is to Jesus and my commitment is to him. And I want the world to know about what God has done in my life. That's what, that's what water baptism is all about. It's this declaration. Now, I do believe that there's a power, there's an infusing uh, of God's substance and his virtue that comes with that, as I've already expressed. But I believe that this is very important. Now, I already know every time I share a message like this, I'm going to have somebody come up to me and say, Now, Pastor, you know we don't need to be baptized to be saved because remember the thief on the cross. I remember. And if you're on death row, or if you're on your deathbed, 
then we'll give you a pass, okay? But you're not. You're not. And so if, if you have committed your life to Jesus and you have not been baptized, obey the gospel command to be baptized. Okay? Do you hear me? All right, so we don't need to debate this thing. It's important. Jesus, the fact that it's in the Great Commission. I have heard and I have preached so many messages on the go aspect of the Great Commission or the make disciples aspect of the Great Commission or even the Mark rendition. I preach it, I quote it almost every Sunday. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Go, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give. We quote all of those commissions and they're wonderful, but... So often we don't emphasize this idea of being baptized. And it's included in every single commission that's given in Scripture. It's very important. Okay? And so we're going to do that. We're going to get baptized. Amen? So, when you say, should I get re-baptized, Pastor? Here's, here's how I measure. And again, looking at this marriage thing. Because Jesus makes a lot of comparisons. The Bible makes a lot of comparisons with our relationship with Him to a natural marriage on the earth. In fact, when he talks about how Israel or whoever it may be, James 4 gives a very harsh illustration where it talks about those who have gone and wandered back into sin after they've been in relationship with the Lord. And he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Like you are giving yourself to other lovers and you're supposed to be committed to me. And so here's, here's the way I look at this. Now, my wife and I, you know, there's times where I put my foot in my mouth and I say something stupid or I'm a jerk or I don't serve her the way I'm selfish or whatever. Now, in those moments, my wife may get upset with me and I may get upset with her. Do we need to renew our vows if we have a bad day? No. I need to apologize. I need to repent. She needs to forgive. And we're going to move on with life. Right? Now. I'm not going to use myself for the other part of this illustration, but you just imagine if you were to leave your spouse and you were to go and wander and give yourself to other lovers and you were just, you were, you're just out there living the way of the world. And after a, a season, it may be a couple years, it may be six months, but, but after a time you decide to come back and I want to be reconciled with my spouse once again. Do you think in an instance like that, you may need to consider renewing your vows making new commitments to the Lord. Absolutely. And I believe it's the same way with the Lord. Now, just because you blow it, just because you say something, you do something that grieves the heart of God, listen, apologize, repent, get back on track, receive his forgiveness, and let's just live life. Don't walk under condemnation, please. But if you spend a season, a prolonged season, where you are wandering from the Lord, he's not even on your radar, you are giving yourselves to other lovers, and you come back to Jesus, I would encourage you, consider being baptized once again. Am I communicating this morning? All right. All right. Let's go on to the last one here. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love this. We are a Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that we believe that what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out, speaking in tongues, we have prophetic nights, uh, uh, we believe in supernatural generosity and God's provision, we believe in miraculous healing and the casting out of devils, we believe that God does that stuff today. 
didn't stop with the apostles back then. No, it happens today, right now. In fact, if we prayed for you in that healing time and God has worked a miracle, I want to know about it. I had one of the saddest text messages that I've ever received yesterday. And somebody asked me, like, well, why do you think miracles are so rare today? Why was it more over here and not so much here? And I'm just thinking, like, what kind of church are you in? What kind of circle are you in? I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a church where I only thought miracles happened overseas. That's how I grew up. I grew up, we never saw miracles. We never prayed for miracles. We were always praying prayers like, God, if it's your will, do this. Faithless. Comfort. Oh, God, take them home graciously. We never contended for healing. And I'd hear these missionaries come in, guys from the Philippines and guys from India and guys from all over around the world, and they'd be showing these slideshows about this lady was blind and now she can see. This guy was in a wheelchair and now he's walking. And, I, and I'm watching that and like, I want to be a missionary. I mean, that's what happened to my heart because I'm like, if God is still doing this kind of stuff, let's go where he's moving. I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful that I went to Christ for the Nations. Uh, and they've got good similar DNA to what YWAM is, but this spirit-filled atmosphere, and they'd have these mighty men and women of God. I mean, remember these meetings where we would just watch people pray, and man, I, I just remember feeling just like a wave of the Holy Spirit go down towards the people that were receiving prayer and just seeing testimony after testimony after testimony of God's healing power. And I began to realize this isn't just for the apostolic age. This isn't just for nations overseas. No, if we would pray and if we would believe, God can still do this today, right now, in our midst. Oh my goodness. So we're a Pentecostal church. We're going to believe for this kind of stuff. We're going to pray for this. We don't pray comfort prayers in these altars. You want, if you want someone to pray comfort prayers... I'm not going to say anything mean. All right. Luke 3, 16. John the Baptist is prophesying about Jesus, and he says, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, I believe for that. In John 14, in verse 16, Jesus is praying just before he's about to leave. He's been resurrected. He's now having a meeting with his disciples. And he says, I will pray. I'm sorry, I, I messed that up. He hasn't been resurrected by this point. That's the next verse. Uh, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. You'll notice helper is capitalized. This is talking about deity. This is talking about the Holy Ghost. Everybody say, the Holy Ghost. I will give you another helper, and he will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because they neither see him nor know him, but you know him. Now watch this. For he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. I like the way this translation reads right here. It says he lives with you and later will be in you in the New Living Translation. Every translation has some rendition of this. And let me just tell you, there's two relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit with you and there's the Holy Spirit in you. And you'll notice here, Jesus says he's with you now. 
The moment, this is what I believe, the moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Spirit of God. His Spirit comes and makes His dwelling on the inside of you. This is the helper. This is the teacher. This is the counselor who now begins to work in and through your life. He describes Him in John 16. He says, I'm going to send you a helper and He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. You ever felt conviction of sin? That's Holy Spirit. Have you ever felt? No. I can, I can conquer this sin. I don't have to give in to this temptation. You f- have you ever felt compelled to righteousness? God's tug to live right? That's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Now, I love the last one Jesus describes as sin, righteousness, and judgment. That does not mean if you give in to sin and you don't walk in righteousness, you're going to be judged. And no, that's not what it's talking about. He actually describes it later and he says of judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. You know what that means? Part of what Holy Spirit is going to do for you and I is he's going to show you the victory that we have over the devil. He's going to show you in these moments where you feel intimidated and fearful and tempted and I don't know if I can make it, Holy Spirit's going to be there to remind you, I already defeated him. His head has been crushed and he is under your feet. That's what the Lord does for each and every one of us. He's going to convict. That's the Holy Spirit in you. But in Acts, there was a moment. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Everybody say, upon you. So Jesus is talking about Holy Spirit in you and Holy Spirit with you or upon you. Everybody who has believed in Jesus has received the Spirit in them. That's why he speaks to you. That's why he convicts you. That's why he teaches you. But there's this other relationship with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he comes around you. It's like a cloak being placed upon you. It's like a fire being uh, put upon your head. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is what John prophesied. He will baptize you. Baptize, immerse, overwhelm, overcome you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Worship team, would you come? We're going to pray. Acts 2. One says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. The place where they were assembled, the place where they were seated, was filled. Mighty rushing wind. They began to pray. And the Bible says that a fire came and began to rest upon each of them. I like that each of them part. You know what that means? There were children in the upper room. 
There were women in the upper room. There were different ethnic groups in the upper room. And God poured out his spirit on all of them, on each of them. There were sinners. There were people who'd been raised in the synagogue, very religious, very rigid. There were Pharisees in the upper room. You could pick out just about every single background and the Holy Spirit came upon each of them. And I believe that today. We might have 120 sitting in this room right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Holy Spirit were to fill this house and his fire were to rest upon each of us? Wouldn't you know why God does that? Not just for conviction and leading you into righteousness and victory over the enemy. That, that happens. But he said in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power to be witnesses. Holy Spirit on you and around you is to empower you to fulfill God's call on your life. To give you the power to release. on your life to do what he's called you to do we all need that we all if Jesus needed it and he did how much more do you think you and I need it hallelujah hallelujah can we just stand all across this room right now holy spirit we ask you now holy spirit we ask you come Holy Spirit, come on, just ask him. Just ask him right now. If you've never been filled, I want you to ask him to touch you, to baptize you with his spirit, his presence, his power right now. Just begin to ask him. I don't know what to say. Say, Holy Spirit, baptize me. Baptize me in your spirit. Empower me to be a witness. Come on, just in your own words, begin to ask him. If you have liberty, I want you to begin to pray with your spirit. I want you to begin to pray. Stir the atmosphere. Come on. People are going to get filled right now. People are going to get filled right now. Oh, we pray the fire of the Holy Ghost. Fill this place in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, speak. Move and minister by your spirit, oh Lord. Fill this house in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, I ask that you would do what you did for your disciples. You breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost. Receive the Holy Ghost. Jesus, we ask, breathe on us today. Breathe on us today. Baptize and fill us with your spirit, your presence, and your power in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. Come on. Ask for it. Ask for it. He wants to fill you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Oh, mighty God. Oh, mighty God.